Please open your Bibles to Second Chronicles. We're going to begin a new book here. Um, you know, just a few moments. Again, uh, if you were with us as we went through the book of First Chronicles, you know that this is written 70 years or so after the Babylon captivity. So this is written to the post-exilic uh, Jewish men and women that have now come out of captivity. They're now back in the land. They're rebuilding, obviously, the temple, the wall, and all the things that would be a part of that. It's written from a priestly perspective, again, just as First Chronicles was. Um, it covers about somewhere around 430 years of history, 430 years. To be specific, more like 427, but I'm rounding up. And it mostly focuses on the southern kingdom um, of Judah and, uh, again, after the Babylonian captivity. It continues the, the chronology, as we've been just reading in First Chronicles. It picks up in Second Chronicles, again, with the spiritual heritage. And if you maybe knew or maybe some of you didn't know this, this as we read it now, and it helps, you know, to have two books that way, this originally was just one single book, as it was in the original um, Torah. It would have been kept as one book. It has been, for our readability, been brought up, broken up into two books, and obviously chapters and verses like that added. That's all, as we know, man-made. That's not inspired. The Word of God that is contained in those chapters and verses, and just like the headings, as you see, those are all written in by man and or uh, priests uh, throughout the ages. But as we continue here, we're going to uh, look at some beautiful um, reminders of the temple and, and the wisdom that Solomon's going to request, as you might have remembered from First Kings as we went through, and, and, and well, Kings in general as we read through that. And David at this point um, had passed on the baton, or he's, you know, he's going to be basically demonstrating just how beautiful the passing of the baton is. It's done with decency and order. It's not, um, it's not where we see or sometimes you hear about in churches where a pastor may be getting to a certain age. He's going to uh, retire, or which we know there's no such thing biblically as that in Scripture. But he's going to turn around and he's going to pass the mantle or pass the baton. And you hear about horrible things like divisions and splits and and it never needs to be done that way. This is a beautiful example. And so let's bow our heads. We're going to pray, and we're going to go line by line and verse by verse. Father, we just thank you again for all of this beautiful wisdom. And as you tell us again in Corinthians, Lord, these are examples for us today, Lord. Not only to men and women some 2,000 plus years ago, almost 3,000, Lord, but to us today to have these hearts to see how you desire to restore your people. You're a God of reconciliation, Lord. We thank you for that. What, what can we ever do, Lord, to ever repay you for your, your beautiful kindness? And as we, as we look at these things, Lord, it's a constant reminder as we look at the temple and all those things contained in of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a pattern presented to us, Lord, you've given us sort of blueprints that way of his love, his mercy, and certainly, Lord, his sacrifice. Lord, let us have a soberness to us tonight as we read these things, learning and seeing all that you want us to um, hold very deep and near our hearts. We pray for an enlarged heart tonight. Lord, each and every one of us should do a very, very beautiful work, Lord, here. 
We pray and ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. All right. If you look at Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. Now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord, his God, was with him and exalted him exceedingly. Isn't that beautiful? We read that first verse. So simple. But what happened? What is it describing? The passing of the baton. We don't see disgruntled. We don't see tirades, division. We don't see any of that. It looks beautiful when it's done right. Stability, yeah? This, this needed to be prayed for. This was bathed in prayer by David. You remember that as we were reading that in First Chronicles? Just the bathing of the prayer, not God's intention in these things. David had prayed to the Lord. And Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, to the judges and to every leader in all of Israel, the heads of the fathers' houses. Again, verse 2 seems simple enough. Do you realize this young man is about 18 to maybe 17 to 18 years old by this time? He's just a young man. Think about you when you were 17 and 18 years old. What I don't know about you, but I still think, what don't I know, right? As you approach 50, 60, 70, I think we're just getting started, right? And I think this young man, as he's... He's speaking to all Israel, you know, some, you know, how many hundreds of thousands at this point, even after the captivity. It says there's thousands and hundreds of judges. I wonder if he got a lump in his throat, you know, you know, you know, have that moment. Oh, my. Every leader, the heads of the father's houses. Then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon. If you remember, that was formerly where the ark was kept, well, Kirjath-Jerim, but also the rest of the table of showbread, all the things from the tabernacle were still in Gibeon. They haven't been moved to Jerusalem yet. They're going to be moved. Only the ark of the covenant, which David was alive, if you remember, he was worshiping when that was moved, the second time, the first time it didn't go so well, if you remember, but the second time it was moved to Jerusalem. So sort of these two different areas that worship is still happening, it's now going to all become centered in Jerusalem, okay, especially with the, re- with the building of the temple here. And please notice that when I describe this, I don't, I don't call it Solomon's temple. It's the Lord's temple that, that God used Solomon to build. Do you understand the difference here? I, I, I'm not trying to be you know mints you know strict with words and grammar that way but it is important this is the lord's house this is the place where he is going to come and dwell with his people his presence is going to be there and he's simply using solomon as a vessel to do that and so it was that they were at Gibeon, for the tabernacle of meeting with god was there which moses the servant of the lord had made in the wilderness so he wants to sacrifice, he wants to worship God, and so the next step is he's going to go there, and it's a priority to him. He gathers the people together. The very first thing he's thinking about is let's get the rest of the implements. Let's get the table of showbread here. Let's, get, let's go here and get the tabernacle. Let's get all these things and move them because as we can go back and remember even in you know, the Old Testament early parts of the books of Numbers and, and even other aspects as we see it, played out in you know, Leviticus and the sacrifices and burnt offerings. All of those things were a picture and a pattern that Moses received when he was on top of that mountain 
with God, and it had a heavenly picture, a heavenly pattern to it. And it was to draw the eyes of the people from earth to heaven, to the throne room of God, and then back to earth to recognize that every aspect of that tabernacle was speaking of Jesus Christ, his coming, looking for a Messiah, being ready. And so isn't it right that as, these, as this next generation has come back in the land, they don't know these things. They just spent 70 years in Babylon. You know, they've been in Egypt, in the world that way, if I can say it that way. They, they, the things that were from their generation and generation past, many of those things hadn't been passed down. They weren't part of the culture norms in Babylon. So they're teaching them, and God's using this to reacquaint them with their spiritual heritage. And that's why we're going through these things again. It's not just a, a, you know, a repetition of what we've already read well, you know, about Moses and the tabernacle. It's not a repetition of what we read in Kings. It's coming to a people that don't know their spiritual heritage nor the significance of what God was doing. And he's trying to commute that, communicate that through the illustration of the building of this temple, that God is not done with Israel. And he's not done with Israel today either. And so the servant of the Lord had made in the wilderness, but David had brought up the ark from kirjath Jerim to a place David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. Now the bronze altar that Beziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. So here we read about Beziel. He's a craftsman, you may remember. He's an artist. He works with his hands, gifted man by God. God loves to use gifted men and women. He's the one that gifts them. He uses this man. It's amazing when we see all that's done from his hands as a, a willing vessel there. And it says, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. Solomon and the assembly sought him there. So they had heard of this man. They, they found him out. God brought Solomon to this man. He knew he was going to be part of this building project. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. So what we see here is this is a, a part of the regular offerings that are morning and evening. Why? Because what is, a, what is an offering? It's an offering of sacrifice. It's an offering of worship. And it's beautiful for us to see that same thing. We don't go and we're under a different covenant, a new covenant. We no longer sacrifice animals. We know in Hebrews it didn't satisfy. All it did it cover sin, but it never removes sin. Only Messiah Jesus Christ does that. But what we see here is this, this offering, this regular offering, this burning here, it speaks of a full surrender. That's what the burnt offering was because it burnt it completely. There was nothing left. It was not a portion that was left. To me, I see the application of this, of giving God your entire heart. That's what it was. It's, it's not uh, giving him, you know, leasing out space in your heart. He's not in the timeshare business. It's giving him all of your heart. And that's what the burnt offering was about. It, it was a perfect action sermon, illustration before them as they would do this. Well, it's also worship. And so as we see this, every morning they would begin with this, and every evening they would do this. They would open their day with worship. They would close their day with worship. Isn't that beautiful? You know why? Because it speaks to lordship. He is the master, right? We're the clay. We're the servants. 
And it's right that we glorify our God. It's right that we worship our God. It's right that our days begin with our Lord and Savior and our days end with our heads, if we're so fortunate, on a pillow, speaking to our Lord and Savior. On that night, verse 7 here, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, this is apparently by a dream, ask, what shall I give you? Please notice the order of operations there. Solomon was a worshiper. He sought God first. He went to God in worship. God comes to him and says, Solomon, ask, what shall I give you? God desires to bless his people. God desires to bless And not just, this is a beautiful illustration here, because we're talking about the spiritual Right? We're talking about the spiritual. So many people are focused on the material or physical blessing on earth. And there's a far greater blessing for a believer in Christ in the spiritual realm. He says, what should I give you? And my question to you all tonight is, what would you say? If I had asked each and every one of you, what, what would you answer? If, if, if God came to you right now and said, what can I do for you? Would, If you're being honest, would it be, Lord, can you heal me? Can you give me help? Lord, would you bless me materially? You know, Lord, how about more provisions and food or clothing or different things like that? I don't think you'd be wrong to necessarily do that, but, but understand Solomon's heart here. Solomon would openly declare, I don't know what I'm doing. I often say that on a moment-by-moment basis. I don't know what I'm doing. And so the very thing that Solomon knows, if he is going to fulfill the will of the Lord, he doesn't need more stuff. He doesn't need more food, although he may appreciate the curb of happiness, right? Some of us. He he may even appreciate some of the material aspects, maybe even good health. But the most important thing for a worshiper of God, and that's exactly what disciples are, born-again believers. We are worshipers of the Lord. The most important thing we need is whatever's going to equip us to fulfill the will and calling of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And for Solomon, to a man, is there a woman here? Wisdom, knowledge. Knowledge is the application or the wisdom is the application of knowledge, forgive me. And so I ask you again, what would you say? Are we thinking carnally or physically? Or do we first think as worshipers in the spiritual realm? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David my father and have made me king in this place. He's saying, God, you're so good. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established. What is he saying? Lord, honor the Davidic covenant that you establish. Your will be done. That's effectively what he's saying here. Let your promise, God, your promise, your desire, your will to my father, David, or David, my father, be established. Lord, your will be done. For you have made me a king over a people like the dust of the earth, in multitude. He says now, he's going to tell him how. 
How? How, how are you going to do this? How can, I, how can I fulfill these things? I know I need something. It's something I don't have. And the very thing I need is wisdom. I don't need man's wisdom. I need wisdom from on high. Now give me wisdom and knowledge. Again, why is he praying that? According to God's plan. According to God's plan. If you'd hold your finger here, God is faithful. He's the ancient of days. It hasn't changed, as I imagine many of us in here who don't know what we're doing, right? If we're not presuming upon the Lord and we're honest about it, we don't know what we're doing outside of the, the will of God. We want to be in the will of God. Turn in your Bibles to James. Many of you know this passage. Some of you may even be in the book of James right now. If you turn in your New Testament all the way near the back of your Bible, James chapter 1, I draw your attention to verse 5 in Scripture. James is using this in the context of one going through a trial. Has anybody been through a trial or tribulation here as a Christian? You ever have that happen to you? Maybe a recent surgery or you've gone through something difficult in your life, maybe a financial, a job. Uh, Trials and tribulation, right? We're pretty accustomed to that. And and he's telling us in this passage, he's saying, count it all a joy. And, you know, when I first read this, when I was a very young Christian, I thought, James, you're maniacal. What is wrong with you? But as I began to grow in the Lord, I understand James all too well now. I understand the Holy Spirit that was speaking through his heart. Because with these earthly eyes, I can't see the things the way the Lord sees them. They're temporal. I'm getting older. I need cheaters. I have bifocals. They don't work like they used to. And even when they did, they weren't attuned to a spiritual 2020. That's what he's talking about here. From the eternal, he's saying, count it all a joy when you fall into various temptations and or trials. Knowing that your testing on faith produces patience, but let your patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's a good place to be, isn't it? It's a good place to be. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That reads to me as a promise from God. But he also says, if you ask, don't doubt. Don't be uncertain in those things. Trust the Lord is going to give you the very wisdom and knowledge that you're asking for. You can turn back to Second Chronicles here. What I'm, what I'm demonstrating is that while we're under a new covenant, God hasn't changed. He's the Ancient of Days. Praise the Lord. Amen? He's the Ancient of Days. And I believe he wants to do that here. In these last days especially, how do we live our Christian life in a time in this country especially where other nations and other countries now look to America and want to send, they want to send people here to minister to us, to our country, to, to the saved and to the unsaved, by the way. Missionaries are coming to America now. It used to be we sent our missionaries, just like in England, they sent their missionaries, and now their missionaries are coming here. And they pray often, I pray for the Americans I've heard them. I've talked to pastors that are in those areas, and they, and they, they don't hide it. They're concerned that, that it, the American gospel's taken over. 
a, com- a, go- a gospel of comfort um, and that the church has lost its moorings, its bearings, its foundation, and it's drifting very quickly, very, very quickly, that it very soon and already many of these places that we call a church or where the body of Christ gathers won't even resemble what we read in scripture about a place where the word of God was taught, people gathered to worship and gave their praises and alms to the Lord Jesus Christ. It won't won't resemble that anymore. Instead, it'll be a social club. It'll be a social club. It'll be a way for people to hang out and gather, but there'll be no bearing each other's burdens. There'll be no strengthening because hearts will grow cold. doesn't have to be that way. doesn't have to be that way. What we need to be doing in these last days is praying for wisdom and knowledge. We need to be praying for that. We need to be praying to stay the course. It's happening very quickly. If you're paying attention to prophetic events on the scene, if you're looking at things going on in the Middle East, God's time clock, if you're watching just what happened in this pandemic and the behavioral modification that men and women are experiencing now, this is all deliberate. It's not conspiracy. Just listen to the men, these leaders out there that are gathering at these forums. Just listen to what they're saying to you. They're all but, you know, the Satan's overplaying his hand. They're all but telling you what they're doing. They are actually. They're not all but. They are telling you what they're doing. And there's such a delusion. There's such a spiritual blindness today. All in the guise of a social gospel. No, I need I need wisdom from on high. I need knowledge. I need to know what it is to live in these days so I finish strong. Finish according to the word of God, not compromising. That I may go out and come in before this people. For whom can judge this great people of yours? You know, I, I love this passage. It, it's so akin to what I read in 2 Corinthians. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. I don't know if you've prayed this or if you've been in Scripture devotionally and you get to 2 Corinthians and you read this. I know as an under-shepherd of God, I, I often think about these things that are, are before me and the ministry before you in the ministry and what God has you serving and I look at verse 4 it says and we who have such trust through Christ toward God Paul speaking to the church at Corinth he spent a year and a half there not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves You get that? Who is sufficient for these very things? Who is sufficient for the days we're living? Who is sufficient? Have you thought about that? Have you you thought about these times? I mean, there's no, other than the word of God that's to guide us, there's no, these are uncharted territories. Generations upon generations have never experienced the days we're living. Do you realize that? Prophetically speaking, After 1948, we entered a a, a totally different time biblically where Israel returned into the land that God said and promised and declared in Scripture would happen. And from that very point, we also have the capability to annihilate and destroy the whole planet in minutes through a nuclear arsenal. We have the technology today 
to see those two witnesses that will be beaten after preaching and giving the gospel? I don't know about you, but growing up, how is that going to, reading the script, how, Lord, how are you going to do this that every eye can see? Many of us grew up without a TV in our homes, right? Maybe just the radio. I had the radio, I remember. I didn't have a TV when I was really young, and it wasn't until I was about 12 years old, I think we got it. Maybe I'm, I'm mistaken. Maybe it was 10 years old, I got a, a TV in the house. And I remember it was, it was uh, we got our first TV, and it was a big deal. You know, you had three or four channels, and every night, it would shut off, I think it was 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. The, the, you know, the flag would be raised, they would cut, and the Pledge of Allegiance, if I remember correctly, or, or something, and, and then it would to the snow. Do you remember? Some of you remember that. My kids have no idea when I talk about that. You know, I, I just recently started shutting Internet off in our home, you know, right around 10 o'clock. I said, that's it, we're killing the Internet, and we, we have streaming, you know, things on the devices. We're shutting it off. It what are you doing, Dad? You're going crazy. You're going nuclear. <laughs> when it was quiet and you could be still and know the Lord, I didn't have to compete with all the racket other than at 4.30 or 5 o'clock. Well, I think 3.45, 4 o'clock when the birds, my blessed wife, she's waking up every morning, the birds, she's like, will you keep it down out there? She gets up, she gets her Bible. I said, Lord, they're singing to you. The birds are just singing to you. So Lisa starts worshiping. Praise God. But, but you read this. I mean, really, I mean, what can you say? He says it so perfectly. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful word? I, I read this in this passage, verse 10, and I, I have literally made a chain reference to 2 Corinthians 3, 5 in my Bible. I've written in the margin because the Holy Spirit has connected that pearl, strung that pearl, connected those dots for me. How will you fulfill, Lord, how do I fulfill my calling? How do I make my calling election short? How do I serve you in the perfect will of God? It begins with understanding that I am not sufficient alone and that I need the Lord Jesus Christ and I need the giftings that God wants to pour out, wisdom and knowledge and you know, discernment. Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or life or your enemies, nor have you asked for long life. Did, did you catch that? You, Solomon, you didn't ask for the things that are temporal. Not, not that it's wrong necessarily to pray for those things. It's, it's not unbiblical to pray for health, excuse me, or healing or something like that. It, it's not wrong for that. But to be effective for his kingdom, that his will will be done, that, that we're in his will, then we need to pray eternally. We need to pray in the eternal through the spirit of God that way. And I think today, again, I don't, want to, I don't want to be too direct in this, but I feel like the church is neutered. I, I believe the church has been neutered. And the reason I declare such that is that men and women no longer pray with the authority of Scripture. 
Men and women no longer come and gather and pray corporately. We we meet Sundays at six, and I you know a church of whatever. I don't take a census, but three, four hundred, whatever it is. I'm always amazed that this room and we haven't had to blow out that wall while we're waiting for a new building to be built. And I'm I'm sad to say that I'm not the only under shepherd that's praying that same prayer. And yet, Sunday after Sunday, where are the people? Where's the humbling of getting on our knees and seeking the Lord together corporately in the power and ammunition of God to be praying in the eternal to affect the temporal so that God's going to move heaven and earth. You want a revival? It begins in my heart and your heart first. That's how revival begins. You want a great awakening? It begins in my heart and your heart first. Let's be real as a people. Let's not play church. Let's not play Christian. Let's be real. But you've asked for wisdom and knowledge. You've asked for the gifts that you need to accomplish my will, Christian Solomon. That you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Again, God's will. He's pointing back to the Lord. God has done these things. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have ever, have ever had who were before you, nor shall ever after you have it like this or like the alike. Again, it's not wrong to ask for healing wealth, but the will of God should be preeminent. And seeking God, as it says again, it's not a new covenant, old covenant thing. It's not an, he's the ancient of days. Matthew chapter 6, verse 23 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of these other things, all of these temporal, non-eternal things, will be what? Yes, given and given on or added to you again. God's just asking us to pray. He's just asking us to ask. Ask for that. James 1.5, ask and you shall receive that knowledge and wisdom, right? Ask. Liberally. So Solomon came to Jerusalem. And again, this is true, by the way, if you've studied Jewish history or biblical history, you go back and you study, there's never been a time like this on earth. The wealth that was a accumulated the power that was accumulated by one king god gave him has never been never been again i mean people traveled from all over to meet with solomon because of his wisdom the the queen of sheba remember even when she got there what did she acknowledge as we read in scripture already she said god god not solomon wow solomon you you really no you have a big God, Solomon. You, you, you worship the God of lowercase g gods. So Solomon came to Jerusalem from the high place that was at Gibeon from before the tabernacle of meeting and reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. Uh-oh. He and 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king of Jerusalem. What's he's doing? What's he doing? He's building a strong defense. He's building a military that way. Nothing wrong necessarily. 
like that, but he's pound he's 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 getting into arms dealing. He's getting into arms dealing, right? Also, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. Can you imagine? Silver and gold as common as stones, pebbles that you would see in a walkway or a path. Wealth like never seen before. This is so supernatural. You couldn't miss it. You can't miss it even on our reading here. And he made cedars, beautiful Natural insect resistant wood, abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. And Solomon had horses, now he's trading them, imported from Egypt in Kiva or Keva. The king's merchants brought them from Keva at the current price. They also acquired and imported from Egypt a chariot for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Thus, through the agents, they exported them all to the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Now, this is not a matter of degrees of disobedience. This is flat-out disobedient. Again, what did God desire for Solomon, the king, to do of that nation? To place his trust in God's strength and security, yes? That's why when we're going to talk about the temple, Solomon, God's temple that he had Solomon build, in front of that very temple are two columns, We'll talk about that probably, time permitting, maybe a little bit. This week, mostly next week. I'll even show you a video of what it was like. Somebody built a 3D rendering that's pretty accurate. I would say it's about 75 to 80% accurate, biblically speaking. It's closest I've ever seen to an actual rendering that's accurate that way. And you see the two columns, and you really get to appreciate that. Why did he put those two columns? What do those columns represent? What does columns always represent? If you're building a structure, what do columns do? They provide strength, support. Why would God put two very large columns right before the temple that Solomon's going to build to remind the people before they even enter that building, the house where God dwells, that God is the strength and security there. Not a man. Never a man. And so, as we see this, He gets into arms trading, and why do I say, oh, no, because this is direct disobedience. Pastor, where's that at? Show me in your Bible. I'm glad you asked. Turn to Deuteronomy. Go ahead. Turn to the left. Turn to Deuteronomy in your Bibles. Let's look. I believe it's right around, is it chapter 17, verse 16? Let's be Bereans here. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Let's start in verse 14, as a matter of fact. Should have started in verse 14, not 16. We're Bereans here. Chapter 17 of Deuteronomy. It says, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Prophetic, this has happened. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Again, prophetic, it's happened. One from your brethren, you shall set a king over you. And you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall, what? The very first thing he says, other than you shall not set, uh, set an alien or a foreigner. So the very first thing God says, you will not do. And right after Solomon goes through and he, he starts to sort of bring the implements that are going to be needed to go into the house that God is going to build, this, this temple where he's going to dwell. What is the very next thing Solomon did? 
the very thing that God told him not to do. The very first or second thing. Read here. He says, but he shall not multiply horses for himself. Do you see that? Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. You're not to arms trade either. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return to that way again. You should not to go back. What's Egypt represent in Scripture always? The world. You're not to go back to the ways. I'm not to go back to the ways of the world. I'm not to put my trust and strength in self. Right? Everybody's looking at a president today. Everybody's looking at a house and all these other things. You know what they need, we need as a country? The Savior, the definite article. Not a political Savior. This country needs Jesus Christ. This is what this country needs. If this country had Jesus Christ as the foundation and centerpiece, we would not see half of the things that are happening from a judgment, and it's just the labor pains. It's even the beginning of the beginning of the labor pains, as we read in Matthew 24 and the Synoptic Gospels. It's just starting. The earthquakes. Remember, if you weren't with us when I was teaching through that prophetically, how God, he's saying it's ramping up. This is important. You, so many generations, oh, we're getting close. We're on the doorstep. Do you realize that when you read Matthew 24, you read it in the Greek, the, the idea here is that you can't miss it because it's not just earthquakes, it's not just famine, it's not just pestilence, but it's the enormity of it and it's the effect of how fast it's happening. So it's two different things at the same time. We have never seen that in history. We just had the world pretty much shut down. Shut down for many months Some nations still shut down. Canada still can't go to Canada and do certain things. And okay, stand where you will with Canada and that, but very communist. I think it's fair to call it what it is. And we wonder why it's coming to a nation near you. Last I checked, we border Canada, right? Do you know really recently... Well, I don't think it was the prime minister. Who was it? His name's escaping me. He literally, he said that not only is it a hate crime on the radio, if you teach scripture right now, if you teach scripture, if, if the teachings we have from this church that go on the radio every day, Monday through Friday at 430, the, his perfect love, the teachings, the word of God's going forward on Hope FM along with other pastors that are sharing the word of God that way, those would be considered hate crimes and we'd be in prison. I'd be in prison right for declaring the word of God, the truth. Can you imagine that we have gotten to such a point where, well, oh yeah, it's written in Thessalonians, that's right, that they would be given over to those debased minds. That they, it's written in Romans. There's no turning back. You realize we've crossed that threshold. I mean, God can do anything he wants. He's the Lord. He certainly could hit a pause button if he chooses. But there is no... There's no going back. God's one, you know, God's allowing and he's, he's hastening, he's moving that one world government. He's actually allowing guys like Schwab and those other guys that are getting together for the, the, the you know, the reset. He's using the pandemic as, as ammunition to do that because you never let a good crisis go to waste. Please see these things. This isn't political. This is what's happening right before us. We, we can't ignore it. No matter where your political disposition is, no matter where you fall politically, that's between you and Jesus. But acknowledge that we are seeing these things. They're 
saying these things audibly. It cannot be denied. And it's in direct contrast because we're in the way. This country and the things we stand for are in direct opposition to much of what's done in these communist works, nations, countries. We're directly in the way. It's not a political thing. It's a, it's a reality. And, and I, I really believe God is allowing it because it's moving and towards that one world government to the globalization that has been in the works since they've been meeting since 19, I believe it's 1970s they started meeting. Schwab started meeting back then. Every year at that summit, they would gather together and, you know, big, big worried about energy as they all fly in their private jets, you know. I mean, so, and as we pay $5 a gallon right now, I guess I am getting a little political. I shouldn't do that, right? Forgive me, Lord. Let's get back to the word. But nonetheless, that's what we're seeing here. In Deuteronomy 17, it says, look, you're going to, don't return to Egypt. Don't return back to the world. Christian, we are called explicitly not to do that. Kings were called not to do that. It's a choice. In these last days, we are going to be faced with many choices. Generations like our parents and our parents' parents never had to make. Never thought that we'd even be here this long before we would have been raptured out. You can turn back to Second Chronicles here. This he told them no. So they're, they're arms trading, Solomon's doing these things. And he's doing it because he's trying to secure the nation, but he's relying on his strength and security, not God's strength and security. And, and I think that that's an important word for us today because things are looking pretty crazy. I'm just using a, you know, a general word for that, crazy. It's probably not biblical per se, but it's, I think we all understand even unbelievers, even non-believers are, are seeing these things and saying, I, I don't know what to make of it. Do you know anxiety and depression is an all-time high? We've had suicide kill more people than coronavirus has or COVID-19. When you look at it in particular nations, not every nation, but some nations have had more people commit suicide or suicide-type you know, threats to to commit suicide, fail maybe, then people were were died, I should say, from COVID-19. And that's why everybody was so concerned. And even the psychiatrists and psychologists were, were coming out and saying, we have a mental health crisis. When we shut down the world, because it went silent, jobs and People had time to think, and that was uncomfortable because the enemy loves to keep people distracted and busy so they never think about their God. They never think about the origins of life, the reason they're here, what God is doing through that. That's all deliberate because we're living in a humanist society where we're being taught to trust in self. And not in the one true God. Then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord, a royal house for himself. This will be a 2,700 square foot building. 
Solomon selected 70,000 men to be bear, to bear burdens, laborers, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to oversee them. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, king of Tyre, saying, As you have dealt with David my father and sent him cedars to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord. Do you see that? That's the only reason to ever build a church, a building. For the name of the Lord, my God, to declare it, to burn before him sweet incense, right? We don't do that any longer. We worship our God with our voices, with our hearts. For continual showbread for the burnt offerings, mornings and evenings, on the Shabbat, the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the set feast days of our Lord, our God, this is an ordinance forever to Israel. This is and represents the Jewish culture and the character of Judaism. And the temple which I build will be great for our God, or sorry, and the temple which I build will be great for our God is greater than all gods. That's, that's a fact. That's a fair statement. That's a fact, right? But who is able to build him a temple since heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him, except to worship him, to worship him that way. Therefore, send to me at once a man, right, a craftsman, a a man, it reads here, a woman, someone gifted, skillful, right, an artistic, someone who has attention to detail here, to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, and purple and crimson and blue. Those colors matter. We'll talk about those in a little bit if we have time who has skill to engrave with the skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Also send me cedar and cypress with algum logs for Lebanon, for I know that your servants have skill to cut timber in Lebanon, and indeed my servants will be with your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance, for the temple which I am to build shall be, a great, shall be great and wonderful. All those colors, they pointed to Jesus Christ. Right, we're going to read about blues, which represent heaven, right? Whites, which represent the righteousness of the robes, the linen. We're going to be to read about the crimson, which is the blood that will be in the curtain before you go into the Holy of Holies, right? All these things that prepare purple, speaking to royalty for the high priest, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. All this pointing to Messiah. You can't even get past the fabric of the curtain without seeing Jesus. And indeed, I will give to your servants the woodsmen who cut timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of of wine. Just if you're counting, that's about 115,000 gallons of wine. And 20,000 baths of oil. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent to Solomon, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, for he has given King David a wise son. Everybody noticed it. You couldn't miss it. Endowed with prudence. That's what it looks like. Prudence. Someone that has prudence, right? I think of meekness and prudence. Understanding, again, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. 
You know why Hiram's de- de- declaring this and it's captured in Scripture? So that you and I can see the fruit when God gives. He's pointing out to the fruit where God guides, he provides, where God calls, he equips, and nobody can miss it. That's why it can't be hidden. It can't be hidden under a bushel. It can't be hidden. It's a man that's been gifted by God and there's experience been given to him beyond his years at some 17 and 18 years old. And now I have sent a skillful man endowed with understanding, Hiram, my master, craftsman. So here's this gifted craftsman that God is going to allow to come in and he is going to be sent by um, Hiram, the king of Tyre, to help. And, and look at how God does this. Look, look at his, his ancestry, ancestry here. My master craftsman, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan. What's that mean? His mother is what? Jewish. Right? She respect for God. And his father was a man from Tyre. He was a Phoenician, right? Skilled to work in gold and silver. This man from birth was prepared. God went before this man even before he was born. He knit this knowing that this day, knowing this day would come. Bronze and iron, stone and wood, purple and blue, fine linen and crimson. We've talked about those. And to make any engraving and to accomplish any plan which may be given to him with your skillful men and with the skillful men of my Lord David, your father. Now, therefore, the wheat, the barley, the oil, and the wine, which my Lord has spoken of, let him send this to his servants. In other words, these are to help care for the laborers, okay? And we will cut the wood from Lebanon as much as you need and will bring it to you in rafts by the Sea of Joppa. That's exactly what they did. They put them on barges, so to speak, that they've made like rafts out of wood that would float, and they literally floated them all the way down to Jerusalem. To, to Mount Moriah, you know, to where this is this this temple's going to be erected. To the feet alone, do you know how big these trees would have been? How many tons they would have weighed? These are huge, right? Lebanon was known as this area of wilderness where they had the largest, most beautiful hardwoods, timber, cedars, all of that. It was amazing. And 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 he says, we're going to build rafts, and we'll 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 send them down to you. Uh, almost like barges, and you will carry it to Jerusalem. Then these men had to take these things and carry them, and many have suggested they rolled them, kind of like on pieces of wood, almost like wheels rolled them all the way to the site of where they were going to use them, although a lot of the work was done outside of that area first and then brought as finished planks. But they didn't have the things we have today. Have you, have you ever built um, a, heavy, a heavy timber building or... Or, or something like that where you're, you're, you're taking wood and you're, you're hewing it yourself. You're, you're cutting the tree down. You then take it and cut it in. You basically make planks. And then you, you, you send it through a sander, right, today so that, so that you get everything even and the boards come together perfectly. There's no misalignment. So you have straight and true boards. They're not kiln dried that way like we have, a, you know, at the wholesale stores where you buy your wood. You know, this was all, all done by hand. All done by hand. This whole building, this 2,700 square foot, it doesn't seem big, but they're going to take all of this, they're going to dry it, and then they're going to plate it all with gold. They're going to plate the whole thing. Can you imagine 2,700 square feet? That's bigger than many of our houses, and just covering the whole thing with gold and precious gems that are going through, and then carvings throughout it of of, um, open flowers, of cherubim, as we read, as pomegranates, 
representing many seeds and therefore futility and also longevity that way. All communicating God's presence, his security, his strength. Then Solomon numbered all the foreigners, your Bible may say aliens, who were in the land of Israel after the census in which David his father had numbered them. And there were found to be 153,600. And he made 70,000 of them bears of burden, laborers. 80,000 stone cutters, right? Skilled laborers in the mountain. And 3,600 overseers, okay, coordinators, project managers, or supervisors to make the people work. So just take that in. We're going to stop there for tonight. I'd ask the musicians to come forward. But uh, next week, we're going to go through, and, and we're going to go through and look at in detail. I'm going to sort of show this on the screen. We'll go through it. Sol- it's God's temple that he, uh, Solomon built. i got to catch myself there once in a while. And we're going to go through, and we're going to look at that. We're going to spend some time because, again, I know we went through this in Kings. I understand we went through this early on in Moses when we looked at the tabernacle. But do you realize that, scripturally speaking, biblically, as we're reading this, there's going to be hundreds of years that are going to go by before we're going to read, you know, scripturally, chronologically, before we're going to read of these things again. I love this. I, even if you're not a builder or an architect in here, you're not an engineer, you know, maybe some of you love that. But I love it all because it all points to Jesus. And I love the reminder, the constant reminder of the Lord saying, I love you. I've sent my son receive me. I mean, that's what he's saying, you know, and it's, it's so apparent and before us. So praise the Lord. We're just getting started. Uh, I can't wait till the Lord, if the Lord tarries, we get to come back next week. I'll show the video. It is a little bit of a long video. It's about 10 minutes. So be prepared. We'll watch it, but it literally goes through detail and it's, it's really amazing. So will you please stand and we'll worship our Lord and Savior. And again, I'll stay after for a little bit. If anybody has questions or anything we just read, please, um, Lord, speak into your heart. Let me know how I can, um, how I can uh, help there. And, and if anybody here tonight is moved or the Lord stirred their hearts to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as you start to see these things and realize there's no coincidences, and God has certainly gone before us, and we are without excuse. We have more evidence... <laughs> In the days we're living, more archaeology, more evidence than any other time before. And to have this before us, today is the day of salvation. It's good to be a servant of the king, to be a son and a daughter of the king. Father, we thank you for just your holy word, Lord. As we read about these things, God, we pray ourselves here, Lord, if you would hear us and according to your promise in James, Lord, we pray for knowledge and wisdom, Lord. Strengthen us in these days, these last days, Lord, that we would be faithful, that we would we'd understand the times, Lord. We would be very clear and aware, Lord, um, even watchmen, ready and prepared, Jesus, for the days ahead, however we can be used as vessels, Lord, to bring forth your beautiful message of love, hope, true peace, Lord and a gospel that brings us great joy to know that we are knit with your Father, your Son, Jesus. He is our Lord and Savior, and we profess it from, Lord, the valleys and the mountaintops, Lord Jesus. We are yours and you are ours. So, Father, I pray, bless your people tonight. Let your face shine upon them, give them and show them your countenance. And, Lord, have your way in us.
as we surrender and we come to the altar again, Lord, willing to receive all that your spirit has for us. We pray this and ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. Amen.